0: I am, Nafthali Bennett, Ben-G'im Ya'akov, and Mirna so Lea, will lead to long lives. I would like to live the as Beast, the Prime Minister, and as the Prime Minister for the future,
1: What we just heard was M.K. Naftali Bennett's swear oath as the new Prime Minister of Israel. 80 days after the election, on Sunday night of June 13th, the new government was sworn in after winning a razor-thin vote of 60 MKs to 59. That marks the end of a 12-year era of Benjamin Netanyahu as Prime Minister. The newly formed coalition is very eclectic and fragile. And we are here to discuss how long this coalition can last. So, welcome back, Jeff, Jeff Becker. Thank you for having me again, Kobe. So, Jeff, how are you doing? Did you watch uh, the ceremony yesterday? Uh, yeah, I watched
0: some highlights of it. You know, I watched the vote, announcement of the results of the vote. And I think most importantly, I watched Bennett's inaugural prime minister speech, which I can't really say was much of a speech as much as it was him trying to get some words out on the podium while being absolutely heckled and harassed by the outgoing former government of the Likud and Kharedim, who were just making it impossible for him to say anything in his inaugural speech. It's, you know, it was extremely disrespectful.
1: It was extremely disrespectful. You can add to it that Benjamin Netanyahu left the main hall after uh, Naftali Bennett was sworn in. He didn't stay to show respect to the newly formed government. And actually, the following day, which is technically today, we are recording on June 14th, they only had a short 30 minutes brief meeting. That says one out of two things. Either Netanyahu didn't do much in office... Oh, he doesn't really want to, you know, collaborate with the new government. So let's see. Well, he made it clear that he didn't want
0: to collaborate with the new government in his uh, farewell speech to the Knesset because he was basically operating on a scorched earth strategy where he would just basically tear down the house on his way out. And it seems like based on his speech, that was the approach he wanted to take. I mean, he was ripping on the new government coming in. He was ripping on the American administration, the Democrats. I mean, he was basically trying to make it as difficult as possible for the new government to operate based on his uh, final speech to the Knesset.
1: Well, Netanyahu definitely is trying to make this new government hard, and he's going to be a really tough head of opposition. We already know the way he acts, and it's not going to be easy for them. Before we dive into what's going to happen with the opposition and the future of the coalition, let's talk about the voting. In theory, this coalition had 62 votes, but eventually it only had 60 people who voted in favor of the coalition. Do you know what happened between the signing on the coalition agreements until the voting itself?
0: There was a couple of interesting things that happened. I mean, there was um, one member of Naftali Bennett's party who had made it clear from the beginning that he was going to vote against the coalition. And then something interesting came up was that one member of Mansour Abbas's party, the United Arab List, actually abstained from voting in favor of the coalition.
1: And that's a crazy thing, okay? So a member of the Knesset named Saeed al-Kharoumi, who's a Bedouin, okay, abstained the vote. And why did he abstain? Because the morning of the inauguration of this government, suddenly the police came with the green squad as it's called, that's the squad that is handling construction violations, came to the largest Bedouin village called Bir Hadaj, which is a Bedouin village in the Negev. That's the main source of power for Said al-Kharumi. Suddenly this village became a topic and People were not really surprised that the police actually came to play a visit in this village. Some people will say that, you know, they were sent directly by uh, the past ministers, Arya Derry, who was the Minister of Interior Affairs, and Amir Ohana, who was the Public Security Office, that they were sent directly by those two in order to put a leverage on Saeed Al-Harumi vote against the coalition. Now it's a funny thing that, you know, Netanyahu's coalition is doing one thing and then suddenly somebody who's a part of the newly formed coalition is uh, being stressed out of it. Because in theory you will say, you know, we're forming a new government, they will do nothing to him. But they definitely had its weight and he was the second MK of this coalition who didn't vote with the coalition. Now, we also have a third member of the Knesset who voted in favor of the coalition, but he also sees himself as a, some will say it a loose cannon, some will say it as a satellite, Elia Vidar of Israel Beitenu, And you know what happened with him?
0: Yeah, he didn't get the... uh ministerial portfolio that he wanted. So now he went up to Avidor Lieberman of Yisrael Baitanyu, which is the head of Eli Avidar's party, and basically said, you know what, since I didn't get this uh, ministerial position, then I'm basically gonna vote with my conscience. You know, I'll vote for the alternative government. I'll vote for the establishment of this alternative government. But on all other issues, you know, such as the very important budget, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna vote with his conscience and see if it's Good for him personally.
1: Right. And that's the one thing that Netanyahu counts on. I mean, I doubt if Elia Vidar will ever, you know, join forces with Netanyahu, but it's definitely not a promising start for this coalition. The coalition is based, as we said, it's, you know, it's ranged from the far left to the far right with, for the first time, Arab party as a member of the coalition. It's not going to be easy because what we saw, what happened with Said al-Harumi is actually one of the things that Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Chaked were always talking about. We need to show governance. We need to, uh, to show that we are ruling what's happening with the Bedouins and with all of the Arab unrecognized villages, as we call it in Israel. And suddenly now they will have to work it out and see with the Arabs How they are, uh, let's say, making it kosher, you know, in some of these places. Now, Netanyahu was promising the same thing, by the way. Let's be clear on that. What Naftali Bennett actually said yesterday, one of his most brilliant parts of his speech was actually when he thanked the Prime Minister Netanyahu for uh, what he did with Mansour Abbas and that he opened the door for the Arabs to become legit uh, members of the coalition. So that was a great, uh, you know, uh, I call it uppercut or, uh, you know, something in boxing. But that's one of the challenges. You know, what are they going to do with what's happening in the West Bank? Are they going to, you know, freeze the building in the settlements? Are they going to grow the settlements? Are they going to invest more in the settlements? How will they do the reforms with the Arab society? There are many challenges that are standing in front of this coalition. Because once again, as we said, you have the Irlapid and the left wing who supports gay rights. On the other hand, you have the right wing who doesn't care about gay rights too much. So I believe that eventually, in overall, this coalition can work as long as it doesn't stretch too much. So we can't expect any breakthroughs mm-hmm. from them. Well, we can't expect any breakthroughs, but I think will be a
0: pivotal moment in this coalition, you know, which will either make or break this new government will be the how they decide to allocate the budget and if they're able to pass a budget. Because, I mean, if we go back to the last Netanyahu government with Gantz, I mean, the reason why it collapsed and why we had this new election and why we have this new alternative government now led by Bennett and Lapid was because Bebe and Gantz weren't able to allocate a budget. They weren't able to get the majority in their coalition to vote on a budget. So are we going to see a repeat of that with this government? Are they going to be able to come together and allocate a budget? Because, I mean, that might be where the most compromises would
1: have to be met. So I doubt if what happened with uh, Benny Gantz will happen between Bennett and Lapid. Let's remind the audience what happened. In the last election, Netanyahu reached out to Gantz and told him, we're going to set a par government. We're going to set a dual year budget. And that's going to be our first priority, along with fighting COVID-19. Eventually what happened, you know, Bibi did whatever he wants with COVID-19. He overruled the czar, if we remember, and he wasn't willing to pass by yearly budget. Even though we need to remind our audience once again, that Israel doesn't have a budget since 2018. That was the last budget approved in the Knesset in 2017. And that's an insane situation. One of the reasons that I believe that they will pass a budget and it's going to be a bi-yearly budget is that most players in this coalition have no interest of going to another round of election. Naftali Bennett was elected prime minister thanks to a really big compromise led by Yair Lapid and the left-wing party who were willing to vote for a right-wing representative for prime minister and that is a right wing that doesn't even pass the thresholds at the moment. Naftali Bennett's credibility is so hurting the general public because the way he was negotiating and the way that he played on both courts trying to go with Netanyahu and eventually going against Netanyahu, it didn't turn out well for him.
0: Yeah, his base evaporated in the last couple of weeks. It's gone.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the cases, by the way, of uh, the right-wing members who are slamming him and they are telling him, two days before the election, you committed not to go with Yair Lapid to any coalition. So what happened? Now, to give to Naftali Bennett's credit, I will say that eventually Netanyahu didn't have a chance to form a coalition because both Avigdor Lieberman and Gideon Saar, New Hope and the Israel Beitenu who are still right-wing parties, okay, did not want to to, uh, form a coalition with him. They said, we don't trust Netanyahu, have the Likud to replace him, and we will form a coalition with another uh, representative of the Likud as prime minister. Netanyahu was unwilling to quit, and that's the result. And also we had, you know, he needed Mansour Abbas or another party. And Betzalel Smutrich of the religious Zionism was slamming Netanyahu and Bennett not to go with Mansour Abbas and the Rahm party. So Netanyahu didn't have any real chance of forming a coalition. So Bennett was playing with his cards. And as uh, Don Corleone said in The Godfather, Naftali Bennett got an offer from uh, Yair Lapid that he can't refuse. And it's legit because we are a parliamentary system. So all they needed was a regular vote to have this coalition uh, work. And the only thing that can actually fail them if they will not pass the dual year budget. That's the only thing that they need an absolute majority for it, which means 61 out of 120 members of the Knesset. But besides of that, Any attempt of impeachment requires the ones who are trying to impeach the government to prove that they have an absolute majority of 61 votes to form a new coalition. And that's something that Netanyahu at the moment will not be able to do.
0: So you think that this new government led by Bennett and Lapid will be able to pass a budget? And do you think if they're able to pass a budget, then that'll give them at least two years of being able to operate?
1: This will give them two years. It's not going to be easy because there is a lot of distrust between the members of the coalition. And if, to be honest, I understand it. Everybody will try to show that they bring value to their people, to the base. So if you're a right-wing party, you will try to see, like the first thing that Ayelet Cheked, who's the new Minister of Interior uh, Affairs, said that we will take care of uh, making sure that all of the illegal immigrants and refugees who are not entitled to stay here will go back to their uh, homelands. That was the first thing she said. And that's something, by the way, that the right wing is talking about for years. I always wonder why they never did it, but that's a topic for a different story. But that's the first thing that Ayala Shake did. On the other hand, there is a huge pressure, you know, on the merits and labor uh, party members, To try and promote an LGBTQ uh, legislation.
0: Yeah, actually, speaking of that, the first thing um, Meretz did, the far-left party with Nitsan Horwitz, as the Minister of Health, was that he legalized members of the LGBT community being able to donate blood in Israel.
1: Well, that's a big thing. I think that in the U.S. they don't ban you from uh, donating, but you are required to answer uh, for male, by the way, if you had a homosexual uh, intercourse. That's a question that is being asked in the U.S. as well. But in Israel, LGBTQ could not donate blood at all. I mean, it would have been eliminated. So that's a big progress. And by the way, it makes sense. I mean, you check all of the blood donations anyway. So yeah, there is no it just, way... It
0: just- It just highlights the stark contrast of priorities between, you know, like right-wing parties and left-wing parties.
1: No, but that is a small thing. I mean, when we're going to discuss, you know, if gay couples can uh, get married in Israel, if gay couples can uh, bring children, you know, adopt, they are not allowed to adopt and they are not allowed to have a child outside with a surrogate. Okay, I have friends that needed to travel here to the U.S. or to Canada And they needed to do the whole process outside of Israel. And it's severely expensive. It doesn't make any sense. And let me say it also. I know a lot of gay couples that are great parents. You being a good father or a good mother is not connected to your uh, sexual identity. It's connected to your personality and how well you perform. I know a lot of bad families You know that it comes from a father and mother type. So... I don't think that should be the criteria. But if Meretz and the Labour will try to promote that, they're going to be slammed from the right wing. Gideon Saar still holds good relations with the the ultra-Orthodox parties. So I don't know, for example, how much progress and how many reforms will this government be able to do with the ultra-Orthodox? I mean, banning the rabbinical institutions? I don't know recognizing the reform and the conservative movement. I don't know. There are chances, by the way. There is a chance that that will happen, but it's really minor. And for everybody who's wishing, you know, for a breakthrough with the Palestinians, uh, I would say hold your horses. I don't think that this government is going to go anywhere. And by the way, I know that President Biden endorsed Naftali Bennett yesterday, and they already spoke over the phone, which is a good start. But I don't think that two things will happen. First thing, I don't think that President Biden will have the time to deal with us. He has much more important issues to to deal with. And on the other hand, I don't think that this government is going to try to change the current status quo. I mean, Mm -hmm. honestly and sadly, I'm saying it, in order to get a breakthrough with the Palestinians, it will take a couple of more violent rounds, you know, rounds of violence, and more blood well, as we shared. well
0: it's important you bring that up because as we speak today on um, June fourteenth, two 2021, I mean they are planning the it was like another round of the Jerusalem Day parade, the flag march which is supposed to take place this week and they're talking about, you know, how that could lead to a renewed, you know, more fighting. So the government might be tested within its first 72 hours on how oh, to deal with the Palestinians.
1: That's one of the mines that Netanyahu placed for uh, Naftali Bennett. Actually, that's a mine, by the way, that Benny Gantz could have uh, taken out before this government's war out, because Benny Gantz could have uh, vetoed, you know, the cabinet's decision from a week and a half ago. The cabinet made a decision that they're going to postpone the flags rally to uh, June 15th, which is two days. Surprisingly, again. Okay, it's two days after the the new government is uh, is sworn off. Netanyahu knows the consequences. Okay, nobody's surprised. The thing that surprised me is that Benny Gantz didn't see it coming. I mean, the whole concept of the flags rally, which is an initiative of the religious Zionist stream, okay, originated by the Mafdal and Gushemunim. And actually the guy who came up with the idea... It started with Rabbi Cook, the founding father of the settlement movement, Rabbi Cook's the son, by the way, not the father, who, after 67, started to walk from his home in Jerusalem to the old city to the Kotel on Jerusalem Day. Since then it evolved, and from something that was small and intimate, it became a flagship of the you know, the religious Zionism uh, stream. But it's not that they're doing it uh, nicely and peacefully. They actually go and they sing horrible songs, you know, in the old city, provoking the Arabs. And it's not something pleasant. I mean, yeah,
0: I I can actually personally attest to that because when I was in uh, Jerusalem back in 2016, I, I went on the march just, you know, out of curiosity, really. You know, I didn't know a whole lot about it at the time, but, you know, they, they a lot. all the shops closed down. You know, it's a lot of young kids, really, you know, coming out of the yeshivas yes. and they really, you know, they're singing these provocative songs. They're banging on the stores and all that. It's like a pretty radical nationalistic national threat,
1: event. Yeah. yeah, it is. And they're always saying that, you know, it's something to show the unity of Jerusalem. If you want to show the unity of Jerusalem, figure out a way to show that religious, secular Jews are walking with the Arabs, but there is no unity in Jerusalem. Okay, And even this, uh, this uh, rally, it doesn't have any, any any unorthodox people within it. Everybody is, uh, is wearing uh, a kippah. You will not see a secular person in this rally. I'm a Jerusalemite born and raised. I was never in this flag march. So I don't know why Benny Gantz didn't veto this event. But let's see what's going to happen. I don't know. Maybe Hamas will challenge the new government as well, because they are also worried. I mean, one of the challenges this government is going to be, Netanyahu made a deal with Hamas through the Qatarians, right? That they are transferring uh, funds in cash, by the way. In cash. Millions of dollars monthly to Hamas. Instead of transferring it through the Palestinian Authority, to show that they are trying new ways in, in Gaza, he was using it as a, how do you call it, a freedom um show. you know? It's not exactly command and conquer. It's a...
0: Bibi is pitting the Palestinian Authority and Hamas against exactly. each other.
1: So now they will need to make a decision if they're going to try to strengthen the Palestinian Authority over Hamas, or they will continue bribing Hamas in order to get timely, quiet in Gaza. I don't know what will happen with that. And that's also, that's one big thing that this government will have to figure out. And you were asking, what's its lifespan going to be? So my guess is that Yair Lapid may become the next prime minister, but not in this coalition. I'm sorry to say that, but at the moment, the way that Bennett behaved, that he was a bit childish, He did not show any leadership until yesterday, only in his speech. His speech was really good and he behaved, you know, he was really calm. He kept calm. It was really impressive to show. Time will tell if Bennett uh, grew up and he will show a spine and stop being a populist like he used to be until recently. Now that he holds the responsibility, things may change. But once again, let's uh, let's see. I mean, I think that once he gets stronger in the polls, he may not have the interest to keep this coalition uh, alive more than the two years that he's a prime minister. And he wouldn't like to give Yair Lapid the gift of becoming a prime minister.
0: Well, it's going to be the determination is going to be if this government is successful, who are people going to give that credit to, Bennett or Lapide? I mean, Bennett may be prime minister. If the government's successful, they may just give it to Lapide because it's his government, technically.
1: Right. And Lapide is getting, by the way, a public's credit. It's still not enough. And actually, one of the things that are amazing is that you hardly hear Yair Lapid. You know, even yesterday, he had a speech ready, but at one point he went on the podium And he just said, you know, my mother came from a distance. His mother, Shulamit Lapid, she's an author and the widow of uh, his father, Tommy Lapid, who was also a journalist and a minister in in the Israeli cabinet under uh, Ariel Sharon. She's 84. She came from Tel Aviv. And he just went and said one line, my mother came from along to see me swear oath. I can't speak when you guys are not respecting the moment. So thank you. And that was great for him. But I think that people would like to start hearing him now more. And if he wants to gain more of the public's trust, he needs to step out of the shadows. And that's mainly what he did in the past couple of months. Well, he's
0: going to be, I mean, he's incoming foreign minister. So people are going to hear him speak regardless. I mean... He's basically going to be taken over on the Abraham Accords on regional cooperation. He can't be quiet. I mean, you know, if anything, it's going to be good to hear him speak in a professional manner as as opposed to his old political manner, which, you know, usually backfired any time Yair Lapid opened his mouth in some sort of campaign rally. So, you know, hopefully this will be beneficial for him.
1: Yes. And hopefully, by the way, he will do it wisely. I mean, when he was a young member of he saw himself as a shadow minister of Foreign Affairs, and he went to different rallies in Europe, and at one time he was standing and he was telling the audience, "Repeat after me, I love Israel oh, I love." Now that was ridiculous, seriously. He was trying to shadow Netanyahu. It doesn't work. My offer to all of them and to this coalition, don't try to shadow Netanyahu. do your own thing. be you I mean. I believe it will work better for them.
0: The committee, the allocation of committees seemed, you know, pretty on par for each party. So, you know, I would, I would just tell them to like focus on their committees. You know, that's really going to be the main goal.
1: Oh, definitely. Once again, it will be a challenge to fulfill all of their commitments because the coalition is so eclectic that I don't know. Once again, I don't think they'll be able to perform any breakthrough it will take a huge leap of uh, trust between the players and I would say a strong armor because the opposition Mm -hmm. is going to slam them. Now, before we end, I actually want to speak about the opposition because it's important. I mean, what we saw yesterday was just the intro to how this opposition is going to look like. On one hand, they have Bezalel Smutrich and his new buddy, Itamar Berengvir. Both of them are provocative characters that will try to ignite fire wherever they can. They will challenge the government within the Knesset and, you know, in the West Bank in Jerusalem. On the other hand, you have the Likud under Netanyahu. Now, that's a a really interesting story. The question is, how long will Netanyahu last as the head of the Likud and how much he wants to stay as the head of the Likud? From what I'm hearing at the moment, Netanyahu actually wants to go for a primaries now because he knows that he's still very popular among the Merkaz members. But, you know, over time, it may fade. So Netanyahu actually wants to go for a primaries now. Most of his, I wouldn't call it even challengers because challengers from themselves, the only one who came against it was actually uh, Nir Barkat, who not only just said, that he's against the primaries now. He also made a big, big, big event last week with more than 4,000 Likud members. People say that it cost him more than half a million shekels, which is almost $170,000 now. It had a lot of food. It had some uh, singers. And somebody said to me as a joke that uh, Nir Barkat actually took the small, we call it shipudon, Okay, the small spike that you put the snacks on, that he stick those as needles in Netanyahu's back with this event. But I don't know how soon others will follow Nir Barkat with this demand to replace Netanyahu. And we also need to remember that Netanyahu has his three cases in court. Yeah. So we don't know how much time that will take from him. And another thing is that Netanyahu will have to start paying for his own expenses. And that's something that they haven't done in more than 12 years. Okay. They need to move out of Balfour, out of the prime minister residence. They need to start paying for their own expenses. And it's really hard for Netanyahu family. He still has a lot of fans, mainly in the U.S., but not limited to, you know, especially from the evangelistic uh, side and the conservative and the Republicans. And, When he was on a break between his first period as prime minister to the time he came back to politics, he actually made a lot of money in lecturing overseas. His lawyers are expensive. Technically, he can pay for them. But as a private person, he won't have a problem raising the funds to pay for them. And as a member of the Knesset, he can't do that. So time will tell if that will be a challenge for him and if we'll stay or not. He definitely still have the hunger, though, to go back into power.
0: Yeah, and see he still has his base of support really hasn't changed either. It's still mostly there.
1: Yes, and unfortunately, I'm saying that I don't think they're going to fade out so quickly because some people are so poisoned by now, you know, with all of the things he said over the years that you have people that actually think, just like here with Trump, that Netanyahu is being prosecuted for nothing and that he's a saint. And that everything he's doing is for, you know, for the country. And they're unwilling to accept, by the way, the change of governance. I actually see posts on Facebook, you know, Bennett is not my prime minister. I never posted a post saying Netanyahu is not my prime minister and he wasn't my cup of tea. By the way, Bennett is not my cup of tea also. But I will never say that an Israeli prime minister is not my prime minister. So we need to wait and see what will happen. I think that's it for now, right, Jeff? Yep. We that's tried it to now. cover, it was a lot to cover.
0: Yeah, there, it's, you know, it's always the, the problem with, with Israel's political system is that there's just so many players. <laughs> there's so many, move, you know, there's so many moving parts to it, especially now more than ever with the new coalition. But, you know, I think tomorrow, June 15th, we'll see what happens with the march and we'll see how this government begins to work amongst each other in the first couple of weeks. So... Looking forward to
1: that. As we always say, never a dull moment in Israel.
0: (laughs) Nope.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much for joining me, Jeff. And thank you for listening, people. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.